in a series called Rooted, and what we've been talking about is this idea that we go back to basics, that we dig our roots down deep, and in doing so, in taking care of prayer and uh, Bible reading and serving and giving and all these things that are uh, essential to the Christian walk, um, then there's fruit in our lives. And that's what we all want. That's what we were created for. We were created for um, uh, to live a life to bear fruit. And so last week, uh, so this series go- comes with a workbook. Uh, and so for those of you who are in small groups and have the workbook, uh, you're going through this in your small groups. And then for those of you who aren't in a small group or don't have a workbook, it doesn't, it's okay. We, we can just listen to the sermons and get the idea. But I found it funny this morning or this week. Last week, the, ser- the sermon was entitled, Your Best Life Ever. And then, because um, that's what the chapter of the book was, right? And so, and I kind of deviate from the book a little bit because I deviate from life a little bit. So, uh, and so this is called Your Best Life Ever too, And I'm like, wasn't the first one enough to be your best life ever? Like, why do you need a, a two? Anyway, but that's what they call it, so that's what we're going to call it. And I just wanted to warn you this morning, we're going to go through some sections of Scripture that are troubling to a lot of Christians. As a matter of fact, a lot of tr- Christians will dismiss this portion, portion of Scripture because it's confusing, because it has a lot of combating theologies together. So there's some theologies that you might have, and don't be nervous about theology. It's just what you think about God and kind of how he works. That's your theology. We all have a theology, right? Mine happens to be correct, but um, the, uh, right? But that's what we all think. We all think our theology is, is spot on. And so this one will, will push you a little bit. And so every week, what I typically do, I preach for life change. I don't preach so much for information, although I hope you are informed by the time I'm done with the sermon. I preach for life transformation. I think that we were all created to become more and more like Christ. Not to know more and more like Christ, but to grow more and more like Christ. You see what I did there? I'm a pastor. I rhyme for a living. That's what I did. Not to know more and more like Christ, but to grow more and more like Christ. I am more interested in what we are doing than what we are knowing, okay? Knowing is super important because we learn what to actually do, okay? So this morning, we're going to look at a section of scripture in the Old Testament and see how God saw the nation of Israel as a forerunner to the pe- being the people of God. They will be his people and he will be their God. And then we're going to switch to Jesus, how he turns that upside down and does it a little bit differently, but the principles are still the same. And that's what we'll be talking about this week. And for those of you who are in your small groups, um, there's about 60 of us that are in, in the rooted small group thing. This, would, this was your serve week, either last week or this week, uh, because it coincides with this section of scripture on the importance of serving, on the importance of basically pouring out our lives. Now, last week, what we talked about in your best life ever, <laughs> okay, one, was uh, the fact that um, Christianity is basically just a race to the back of the line. It's basically just the, 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 the last are the ones who are first. If you want to become, uh, a, you know, uh, first, then you become servant of all, Jesus says. As a matter of fact, we talked last week about one of my favorite sections of Scripture, which I think is pivotal 
to our relationship with Jesus. That on the night that he was betrayed, knowing that he had come from God and he was going back to God, the first thing he thinks of is to wrap a towel around his waist and to wash his disciples' feet. And afterwards, he says, he asks this question. Do you see what I've done for you? That's what he asks. And the answer to that question is, I've set you free. I've set you free from having to get your own way. I've set you free from having to be, feel a sense of loss when you don't get something your neighbor gets. I've set you free from having to be first in line. I set you free from having to get you what's yours. I've set you free from all that. Do you see what I've done for you, Jesus says? He says, I've let you go. You do not have to be bound up by the culture, especially, and again, I'm sorry I pick on America, but I live here, the, on Western culture that says your rights, your individualism, you, 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 you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're part of a community. It's one of the reasons why we gather uh, here on Sunday mornings is to just remind ourselves, a reset that we are part of a community, something bigger, that I don't have to do it all on my own. So that's, that's where we are. And so this morning, rather than giving you something to do, I want you to think this week. I want you to reframe this week. I want you to think about, okay, if this is true, what is, how is this going to reflect in my life? Okay? So that's where we're going to go. So we're going to start off in Isaiah, who was just a prophet. Uh, back in the olden days in what we would call the Old Testament. This guy, Isaiah, this prophet, basically spoke to, the, to Israel like, hey, with warnings, with prophecies of what's coming up in the future, with the heart of God, with the actual words of God to these people. Isaiah is talking. And what the Old Testament does is it gives us a glimpse into what it looks like to be his people and to what it looks like to see the heart of our Heavenly Father. So that's where we are. Isaiah 58 verse 9. So when you think about the Old Testament and Israel. If you could sum it all up. It's basically Israel does what they're supposed to do. They're blessed. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They're not blessed. And it's just this cycle. Right? Over and over and over again. They, they do great and they say, oh, and they render their garments. Maybe this is you. I've had, listen, everything you've done, I've done. So I've had seasons in my life where I've been like, Lord, whatever you want, whatever, whatever. And then I get a raise and then I'm off to Disneyland and I'm just doing my own thing, right? And then things go bad and, oh, Lord, everything's going terrible. I, I come before you and I repent. Now, I'm not mocking that. I, I think those things are really important. I'm just telling you I've done the same thing. Just like the nation of Israel, right? So, here we go. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Isn't that beautiful? It's true today. It's true today. You call on him, he's going to answer. You will cry for help. And he will say, here I am. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. Now, the problem with the Bible, and the problem I've always had with the Bible, is it rarely ends where I want it to end. Like, that would just be great. Like, why couldn't that just be, you open up Isaiah, it's this verse. Actually, this isn't even the whole verse. There's another half. And the other half always is like, I wish we could just rip that out. Watch what he says, okay? So this is it. Nice. Call, I'll answer. You call, I will answer that song, right? Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, 
oh, wait, there's a contingency upon I will answer. In other words, I want to make sure I'll answer as long as you have removed the things from culture that are weighing you down. In other words, I will answer when you begin to do your part. Like there's a part for us. And so when you begin to remove those yokes of oppression, how we view other people, how we treat the oppressed, how we talk to our neighbor, how we look at other. See, when you begin to strip that away, when you uh, do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, you mean America, (laughs) right? No offense, America. But, I mean, this is us, the pointing finger and malicious talk, right? Okay, so he says, I'm coming, I'll help, but you got to do your part, okay? Now watch what he says. This is so powerful. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, okay, wait a minute, that just sounds like a bunch of social justice war. I I don't even know about that, right? Isn't that what the government's for? No, 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 no. That's not what the government's for. This is God talking to his people, to you and I. You call, I'll answer. But you got to get rid of these yokes of oppression you're putting yourselves under. And you have to spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noon day when you spend your life in service of others the lord will come that's what he wants he wants a heart that says not my will but your will be done do you want to know what his will is that the poor get fed That those who are oppressed are no longer oppressed. That those who are marginalized are no longer marginalized. This is not a political thing. This is a God thing. We make sure we are taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. Pull them up by their bootstraps. They don't have boots. You cannot pull yourself up from your bootstraps if you don't have boots. Amen. Yes. By the way, just so we're clear, and I'm going to brag real quick, we kind of do this pretty well at our church. Okay, anyway. All right, here we go. This is for another church. Okay, here we go. Watch this. The Lord will guide you always. You, are you taking care of the poor? Are you taking care of the marginalized? Are you looking at other, whoever they might be, on whatever side they're on? Are you looking at them with compassion, with understanding, with empathy? With the things that Jesus looked out, his heart broke. He looked at compassion. He says, those are just sheep without a shepherd. They're not Democrats or Republicans. They're not divorced or married or single or black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Right? I had this joke real quick about this. I'm just going to tell you real quick. So my dog is not racist at all. Whether you're black, white, Asian, or Hispanic, he's going to bite you. Okay? I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I thought of it this week. Right? The God doesn't care about that. He wants to know, do you care about that? Do you care? How are you handling other, those who are other? Now watch what he says. This is so powerful. 
The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Doesn't that feel like today sometimes? And he'll strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden. This is the whole point of rooted. We put our roots down and then we're like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath. And from doing as you please on my holy day. This is not a thing about come to church. Although those of you online, you better. No, I'm just joking around. Right? In other words, what he's saying is, listen, follow the law and serve people. Follow the law. It's not just about service, because then you'd just be whatever, goodwill, I guess. But, right? Follow the law, personal holiness and sanctification. Those things are very, very important. And then serve the oppressed. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. From doing as you please on my holy day. Oh, that's brutal. If you call the Sabbath a delight and not a burden and the Lord's uh, holy day honorable. In other words, if you are willing to set aside some time that you're just setting aside. Remember, the Bible says, Jesus says, the Sabbath was built for man and women. It's so that you can rest. So you don't have to feel like you're working every single day, 24 hours a day. Working all the way up, as the Old Testament says, uh, harvesting all the way to the edge of your property. Just to calm down, he says. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please. See this common theme here? We're speaking words. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. Then you will find your best life ever too. <laughs> right? And it will cause you to ride in triumph in the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. This is the plan God has, that we would be his people. And he would be our God. And that our focus would be on others, on those around us. And you say, well, how do you really know that's the Lord? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <laughs> that is God speaking to us. Those words we just read. Try to get out of it. Good luck. You're not, the Bible will be against you. All of the Bible talks about loving God and loving others. And it makes it inseparable. You, you can't have one without the other. Okay. All right. So that's the Old Testament, John. That's all over. Jesus came and we're not under the law anymore. So good for you. Okay. Well, that's the problem with the Bible. There's a New Testament and it kind of fulfills everything in the Old Testament. And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is trying to explain to everybody what the kingdom of heaven is like. Like, what's, what's it like? Like, what's it like to live in the kingdom of heaven? Now, remember, the kingdom of heaven is not just heaven. It's what Jesus says. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom. Okay? Not dying and going to heaven. Okay? That is, that is a, something that we, that's important. And yes, there's a heaven and there's a hell and all those things. But the kingdom of heaven is the fulfillment of what we just read in Isaiah. That there's shalom, universal flourishing. Okay? All right, that will all be fulfilled in the end times. I get all that. Listen. So Jesus is trying to talk about the kingdom of heaven to get us to understand this. And he, he does three things in a row, and they're all supposed to be read together. So one is this weird parable about the, this oil and lamps and virgins, right? And so you're just like, what the heck? You know, what is that? And so Jesus is trying to explain that they're at a wedding feast and there are these, like the bridal party essentially, who are all single women, virgins, right? I don't know 
you know, they just, that's the way the Bible describes it. And they have these lamps and they're waiting for the groom to come. Okay, and so the groom comes and they're waiting. You don't need to look back there. It's all good. And so the groom comes, right? And some of them don't have their lamps. They don't have enough oil. They're not ready. And the part of that portion is you have to be ready for Christ's return. This is Jesus imploring us to, be, to let him rule and reign in our lives. This is what we would call coming to Christ or raising a hand and coming forward. you got to be ready. You can't just, when he comes and it's it and it's a day of judgment and he's back, that's it, right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. And he says, just be prepared. And so your question and my question would be, well, what does it look like to be prepared? Like, what is this oil? First of all, I'm not a virgin. Secondly, I'm not a woman. Thirdly, I don't have oil. I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus. So Jesus tells a second parable right after this one. So be ready when the bridegroom comes. Well, what, what does it mean to be ready? And he launches into a second parable, the parable of servants and talents. So you got, uh, you got, uh, you got virgins with lamps and servants with talents, right? Sounds like a virgins with lamps and servants with talents. Okay, right? That's what you got. Hey, you'll never forget this, okay? Right? So that's what, that's what he goes into, these servants with talents. And he says, listen, he says, he gave this, this, this landowner gives uh, one servant five talents, which is like, I don't know, like millions of dollars, whatever, it's immaterial. One, two talents, and then one, uh, one talent. And, and basically it says this, according to their abilities. So here's the first thing Jesus is saying. You need to be ready, like the virgins with the oil and the lamb. And this is what it's going to look like. He's going to give you stuff to be doing according to your ability. For some of you, you might be doing a whole bunch of stuff. And he's like, you could do more. You could do more. For some of you, you're like, he doesn't, hasn't given me anything. Oh, that's not true. That's not the Bible. Maybe he's only given you one talent. Maybe he's given you half a talent. But he goes through this whole thing. How are you going to use what you got here on earth? He's gone now. He's coming back. Is your, is your oil? Do you have oil? Are you ready to go? Well, how do I do that? What are you doing with the stuff he's given you to do? See how, the, see how those work together? They're not just these independent stories. And then he launches into number three. So basically he tells the ones without the oil, don't make it in to the wedding. They're knocking on the door and they're like, nah, too loud, the, bad, the, the, bride, the groom's coming. You got to go buy oil. It's too late. The, with, the, with the slaves or the servants, it's wicked. You're wicked and lazy. That's what he calls it. So these are hard. This is harsh. This is why I told you. I'm not giving you anything to do. I want you to think. This is Jesus talking. And then he launches into this. This is so brutal and so hard of a teaching. People normally just go past it. But I want you to wrestle with what the Bible is saying here. I want you to think about it. I want you to think at home when you go home and you're at work. And you go, man, what, what in the world? This is Jesus talking about what it's like when he comes back and, and his criteria in life. All right, here we go. Sorry, I geek out a little bit over this stuff. I just love the Bible. All right. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, scholars don't debate. Well, scholars always debate, but the majority of them are, say the same thing. This is when Jesus comes back. Jesus himself is talking about when he's coming back. He hasn't left yet. 
right? Because he, right after this, he's going to say, the Passover is in two days. We need to get ready. I'm about to die, basically. But before that, he says, when I come back the second time, and the angel's with him, so it's going to be a big deal, he will sit on his glorious throne, right? And so we look forward to that as followers of Jesus. Me, personally, I look forward to that. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, eternity with the person I'm trying to model my life after, okay? All right. All the nations will be gathered before him. Oh boy. Okay, everybody. Nobody gets out of this. Nobody. And he will separate the people one from the other. The shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is what he's going to do. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And all the conservatives are like, yeah, I knew it. Right? Okay. Sorry. Bad, bad political joke. All right. So... He, he does that. He separates them. Sheep on one hand, goats on the other. It not, has nothing to do with politics. Now wa watch this. This is, this is phenomenal to me. Because he doesn't say, okay, well, let's just go on. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, the sheep. You who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So the sheep make it to heaven. Right? What's his criteria? Because at junior high camp, you threw a stick in the fire and raised your hand and accepted me as your personal savior. And then lived the fool the whole rest of your life. But at least you got a ticket in. No. Well, you, you had this time of crisis and you cried out to me and, and, and everything was ter terrible and then you felt really good about yourself and then you kind of went on. And no, no, these aren't the criteria. This is what I'm saying. Christian who's been a Christian for a long, long time, right? I'm speaking to you. You got to wrestle with this. You got to wrestle with this because you're, you're, Jesus is coming back and we all know that. And we're excited. We say, yeah, I've accepted Christ. I'm I'm good. And Jesus is basically painting a picture of going, are you? Sweet. Here's the criteria. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. That's the criteria for heaven. Again, I want you to think this week. Because you're going to, for those of you who are Christians, you're going to go, that sounds like works-based works salvation, right? It's not at all. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I was hungry. I needed clothes. I was sick. I was in prison. Right? The righteous will answer and go, wait a second. When did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, the alien, and invite you in? Or need clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, or visit you? The king will reply, I truly, truly I tell you. Truly I tell you is exactly like Isaiah, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay? This is the mouth of the Lord saying, truly I told you, we could just take those two verses and go, this is God speaking. Truly I tell you, whenever you did, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me, here's the loophole Christians get into with this verse. Oh, it's brothers and sisters. That means that it's just kind of like our church needs to take care of each other. <laughs> 
you, you missed a big part of what Jesus is talking about. This isn't just doing right to family members in the body. Because here's the problem you have. You don't know who's a Christian and who's not. So if that's going to be your criteria, now you got to do some type of test, right? Oh, brothers, i got to make sure. I'm not going to do anything until I find out if they're a brother or sister, because that's what Jesus said. Well, just read the rest of your Bible. The least of these brothers and sisters minds, you did it for me. This is so important to Jesus that we are people who serve those who can't serve themselves, that, that he almost, it almost appears that he bases salvation on this particular thing. Here's what I think, theologically. When we do raise our hand and accept Jesus, which I think is very important, which you can do at any time, what we are saying is not, I'm just a sinner and I need a ticket. What we're saying is, I have realized that my sin and brokenness does not work for me. That's not what I was designed for. And so I step into submitting my entire life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that displays itself in two ways. Personal holiness and taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. That's what it means. And that's what he's saying. If you have accepted me as Lord, or you are a Christian, which means little Christ, you are a follower of me, how that's going to manifest itself is in serving others. Full stop. Then he'll say to the goats, those on the left, right? Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You're like, that sounds like hell. It sure does, doesn't it? For I was hungry... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hungry? That's not how you get, get into heaven or how you fall into hell. It's not from service, is it? For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, same thing. When, when did that happen? I don't remember you being around. Jesus said, I, that was a translation on my part. He will reply, truly I tell you, the Lord has spoken. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ is personal holiness, which we would call sanctification. And it's transformation that we do not live our lives for ourselves. And that is the best life ever, too. <laughs> That's the better best life, number two, right? Then, listen to this. This is brutal. So I'm saying you have to think this. You have to wrestle with this. This is the Bible talking. Then you will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Heaven, hell, right? That's what he's talking about. You say, well, shoot. I thought if I just raised my hand and went forward, that was it. That sealed the deal. Once saved what? Yeah, see, we don't believe that. We're, we're Arminian. We're not Calvinist here. We believe that your decision to follow Christ is like your decision to become married. You say, can you imagine? I mean, I talk to people. I love, I love doing weddings. 
uh, sometimes, but uh, I, I like doing them. And uh, imagine if you said to somebody, they're standing up here and they say, I do, I do. And you go, you pretty much know everything there is to be married. You guys committed to it. You got it, man. You got it. Good for you. You made it. Nah, that's just day one. And what do we say? What period's over? The honeymoon period's over, right? He leaves the cap off the toothpaste, underwear on the ground, all this kind of stuff. That starts the whole process. When we come to Christ, we begin a process of sanctification. That's why we spend daily in the Word, daily in prayer. That's why we're always got our feelers out. Is there some way my life, Paul says, my life is a drink offering? In other words, you just take it and you throw it on the fire. I'm the sacrifice and service for you all. As the worship band comes back, I want to end with this. This is the Apostle Paul who takes this one step further. Just so we're clear, for some of you who are squirming in your seats, I do not believe in a works-based righteous, uh, works-based salvation. You are saved by faith through grace, not of yourselves. It's a gift, right? No one should boast. But once that happens, there begins to be this changing. The Bible calls it the renewing of our mind. You mean it's not all about me? See how that renewing of the mind? It says you're a new creation, a new creature. Uh, uh, it's not about survival of the fittest anymore. You're a new species that's in community. Galatians 5.14 says this, for the entire law <laughs> is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. I want to read something real quick. It's a text I got this week <clears throat> from one of the small groups. This basically sums up the point I'm trying to make this morning that I want you to wrestle with. Rooted service outreach today was awesome. So excited to be a part of what God is doing. Well, then, then she says, love you, PJ, which is very nice. Okay. Have fun tonight, which was for last night, dealing with those little kids, right? We are praying for a great turnout. This, this is what she says. It was such a joy to serve. Today, the ministries we volunteered for included homeless ministry, elderly care, care communities, expectant mothers, jail ministry, dinners at the park for homeless and those needing a nice meal, single moms who are struggling, foster care support, advocating grocery distributions, blanket and coat distributions, and court-approved child advocacy. That's it. That's Jesus. You got it. You got it. Well done good and faithful service. That's your best life ever, too. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a couple things. Shoot, we don't have time for that. Um, we are going to uh, have a time of prayer and reflection. Tanner's going to lead us in a song. And uh, maybe if you feel comfortable, you might want to come, as Gary had said, and kneel at the altar and just lay some burdens on, on, on the Lord that are at your feet. Maybe you want... Maybe you're feeling really good about your personal holiness part, but you're like, man, this has kind of been all about me, all about myself. And so you might want to just come and kneel and go, Lord, where would you have me serve? 
Open my eyes to those who are marginalized, who are outcast. Maybe it's that person at work that nobody likes. You say, I don't have anyone at work like that. And you might be that person at work. If you don't know, there's somebody at your work, okay? And maybe you say, God, help me to reach out to them in some way. To feed them emotionally. To clothe them spiritually. To help, to be a not a hindrance. And then I'll come back up and, and bless us. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful that you love us. We're thankful, Lord, that you don't just save us, that you sanctify us, and you put us back onto this earth to do things for those who can't do things for themselves, that we would be your people and you would be our God, that we would take care of those regardless of whatever socioeconomic class they're from, or skin tone, or culture, or whatever. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go in his strength, in his creativity, in his boldness, as you serve others. In the name of Jesus, amen.